Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series in the Sermon on the Mount called The Politics of Jesus, where we're learning how to live the upside-down way of Jesus' kingdom. Thanks for joining us. The word politics means the activities associated with the governance of a country or kingdom. In other words, it simply means the way people living in groups make decisions and live those decisions out as a community. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the kingdom of God, an invitation to life in community, which is often upside down to the kingdom of this world. The human attention span is now eight seconds. That is down 25% just from the few previous years before that. And what that means is now as human beings, we have a shorter attention span than goldfish do. I'm going to have to figure out the eight-second sermon, I guess. I don't know. Of course, we probably know the reason for that as we live in the technology age, and we're bombarded every day by distractions, notifications on our phones, pings on our computers, vibrations on our Apple watches. There are endless distractions that can shift our focus. In fact, uh, it's the price we pay today of being able to watch TV, text our friends, and locate the closest Starbucks right on our fingertips. I mean, let's be honest, who of us have not experienced this as a family where we're all in the same room technically, but we're all in different places going like this. I saw a great Christmas card this year that kind of highlights this. I'll put it up on the screen here. There you go. Now, we can laugh at that, but the truth is it's having an effect on us in ways we may not even realize, especially when it comes to our relationships, where all these distractions that are coming our way are taking our focus off the things that matter most. And as we continue our series this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're following on your notes, Jesus addresses two things that can distract our focus from him or take away from our relationship with him. Now, as we've talked about in this series, Jesus really wants us to experience life to the full or the abundant life of life with him. And he's going to address two things today that can keep us from experiencing that abundant life. So if you haven't already, let me invite you to take your Bible or your device, turn it to Matthew chapter 6, which is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be starting in verse 19. If you're just joining us in this series, I'll just catch you up. Last week, Pastor Brian showed us how Jesus challenges us to look at our spiritual lives and evaluate whether or not we're practicing our faith in order to oppress others or for an audience of one. Are are we looking to give and pray and fast so that others may see our good works? Are we doing those things in order to grow closer to our Heavenly Father, which is what spiritual practices are really for? In many ways, I would argue that what he talked about last week are how we keep our focus on Jesus and his kingdom by practicing those kinds of things. And so it's only natural that he would follow that up with the things that might distract us from Jesus and his kingdom. And while there's many things that could do that, he's going to talk about two things specifically this morning, money and worry. So let's look at verse 19 together as he begins to talk about money. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus knows one of the biggest threats to the abundant life in him and in his kingdom is fixing our eyes on earthly treasure. 
Do you know Jesus talks about this more than any other subject on his time here on earth? And the reason for that is if you're following on your notes, number one here, focusing on treasures will keep us from living an abundant life. This, more than anything, has the possibility to distract us from living the life of total devotion we are called to live as his disciples. Now, as we talk about treasures, I want to say something what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying that all things of this earth, that money itself, is bad. For example, nowhere in the Bible does it say that private property is bad, nor does it say that saving for a rainy day is bad. We're told in Proverbs 6 we should follow the ants in that, right? Save up for a rainy day. Nor are we told that we can't have fun in life. Sometimes we hear these things and think that. Paul addressed this in the letter to 1 Timothy. There were some false teachers teaching that in order to be really spiritual, you essentially had to become monks. And Paul says, no, no, no. God has given us good gifts to be enjoyed. And so what is Jesus talking about here in verse 19? He's talking about how quickly these good things in life that we can enjoy can start to become the ultimate thing for us. The word he uses here for treasures certainly refers to money, but it's talking about something bigger than that. Again, if you're following, a treasure is anything we place supreme value in. Now you ask yourself, I ask myself, well, how would I know what my treasure is? Pretty simple, where you spend your time and where do you spend your money? So a treasure could be a possession. Honestly, it could be your kids. It could be money, it could be a memory, a spouse, a title, a job, a position, a wardrobe. It could even be our phones. Anything in the world that we are trying to find satisfaction from apart from Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, those things aren't necessarily bad. Those are good gifts that I've given to you. But if you're really trying to find your satisfaction through those things, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You know the thing I love about Jesus, though? He doesn't just stop and give us a command and say, you know, don't go after earthly treasures. He is going to go on to give us four reasons why this can shift our focus and distract us from the life that we really want, the abundant life that he offers. And so the first reason, we're going to walk through these four reasons why, is straight from verse 19. Jesus tells us one reason not to focus on earthly treasures is because they simply won't last. They won't last. Any of you in this room have a financial planner? Raise your hand. Jesus is being like the ultimate financial planner right here because he's telling us accumulating stuff does not make economic sense for you. Why would you connect your heart to something that moths can eat and rust can corrode and thieves that can come in and steal? All the stuff you're accumulating, listen, it's all one day going to end up in the dumpster. So don't set your priorities on those things. Several years ago, probably five, 10 years ago, uh, we were visiting my parents in Southern California. And like every child who moves out of their parents' home, they leave a bunch of boxes of their stuff, right? And your parents are always like, can you take this home? Can you take this home? And they were moving, so they needed to get rid of this stuff. And so I had this box full of treasures that I had accumulated when I was a kid. And I was really excited actually to see what I thought was so important to me. So I opened up this box and it was full of G.I. Joe characters, most of them with their arms missing or legs torn off. I had Thundercats. Can I get an amen to Thundercats? <laughs> I opened this up, and I just, it was interesting. 
for me to discover what I thought was worth saving, the treasures that I had accumulated. Do you know where that box is now? It's in my garage, (laughs) collecting dust. Just like that, Jesus is giving us economic wisdom. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why, because they're bad? No, they're just not gonna last. They're not gonna give you what you think they're gonna give you. They're not gonna give you the abundant life you hope they will. That leads to the second reason why we shouldn't pursue earthly treasure. Let's read the first part of verse 20 out loud on our notes together. Were you ready ready to do that? It says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So number two, if you're following, our home is in heaven, not on earth. I think we vaguely understand that, but do we? Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, this earth is not your home. You are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. It's why we called the series what we called it, the politics of Jesus. As we've been reminded, politics just simply means the reign and rule of God. And he's invited us as a king to live out in his kingdom. So don't put your hope on this world. I love what Randy Alcorn says about this verse. I actually have it up on the screen if you want to follow along with me. He says, suppose for a moment that your home is in France and you're visiting America for 80 days on a short-term visa and you're living in a hotel. Here's the rule though. You can't take anything with you back to France, but you can earn money and you can wire deposits to your bank in France. Question, given those rules, would you fill your room with expensive furnishings and extravagant wall hangings? Probably not, because it's just a hotel room and you're not going to be here long. You'd send your treasures home. He goes on to say, in the same way, we're here on earth on a short-term visa. We're just not here that long. Maybe it's 80 years plus for some people, but for others, it's 60 years or 40 years or less. And in the scope of eternity, it's really not all that long. That short-term visa we're here on is going to expire soon. So why accumulate all this stuff that you can't take with you anyway? That is what it means when we talk about having an eternal perspective about our lives. We are to travel lightly as followers of Jesus in this world. Instead of packing two huge suitcases, we bring a carry-on. And that's how we are to live in this world. Third reason Jesus gives for not orienting our lives around earthly treasures found in verse 21. If you got your Bible, let's look at it together. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're following, Jesus says that earthly treasures can divide our hearts. Over and over again in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps bringing it back to the heart. He brings it back to our heart. And here he's saying, more than anything else, the pursuit of earthly treasures will divide your heart. In fact, he gets pretty extreme about this. If you did the Bible study, you know, this week, in verse 24, look at what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Sometimes I think I can but he says you can't. It reminds me of a great African proverb, which says, the one who tries to walk two roads 
will split his pants. And that is what Jesus is saying to us. It's going to divide your heart if you put your heart into treasures instead of me. You can't do both. Jesus demands our total devotion as citizens of his kingdom. And then the fourth reason he encourages us not to pursue earthly treasure is that it can cloud our spiritual vision. It just clouds how we see the world. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The idea here is pretty simple, but it's a beautiful metaphor. Our eyes are pictured as these windows that we are looking at the world through. If your windows are clean and the the glass is clear, the light will begin to enter into your body, he says. That light will make everything more visible, more clean. But if your eyes are bad, everything you're taking in is going to be dimmed. You will not receive the full benefit of the light. In our house, uh, in our kitchen area, we have these two huge farm lights, basically, these gigantic bulbs. And every once in a while, I'll I'll come home and notice that Peggy cleaned those. And it just looks different. It just adds a whole new level of light to our lives. And Jesus says it's the same thing with your eyes. If you keep your eyes clean and pure, the light that will begin to enter into your life will shine even brighter. Now, of course, he's not giving us a lesson on optics here. He's saying that the light that comes into your heart is going to be dependent on what you're fixing your eyes on. If you're always looking for earthly treasures and to fill your heart, to satisfy you, you will not be able to see clearly his kingdom and his relationship that he wants with you. It reminds me of the words of the second smartest man who ever lived. Jesus was the first. Solomon. In Ecclesiastes 2, 10, and 11, notice what he writes. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Notice what he says. He saw everything the world had to offer. And he's one of the few people on earth that actually had the means to get it. And he got it. He got whatever earthly treasures we would ever dream for or want. And what does he say at the end? It's meaningless. It doesn't satisfy me the way I thought it would. But how much am I like Solomon still today in my life? My eyes are looking constantly. They're inundated with all these images of things I think I have to have to be satisfied. And so I pile up more and more of this stuff while not even realizing the work that it's doing in my life is it's clouding my vision, not allowing me to see Jesus. So listen, that's the first thing Jesus tells us that can take our focus off of him and his kingdom. But we're not done. He brings up a second thing that can do the same. And honestly, I think these two things are closely related, but I decided to break them out because this is such a big issue in our society right now. Let's read verse 25 out loud on our notes together. It says, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I'll continue. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If you're following on your notes, the, number, the second thing that can keep our focus off of Jesus is focusing on worry can also keep us from the abundant life. Friends, you know this. Anxiety, worry are at all time highs right now in our country. A lot of times that does come down to money and security and those kinds of things. But even right now, if somebody sneezes, the worry alarm goes off in our minds. If you've paid attention to commercials that are constantly streaming into our lives, what message are they sending us? You need this thing. In fact, you should be worried if you don't have it. The news. I just feel like the news has become completely fear-based at this point, just giving us more and more things that we should be worried about. And now, of course, we know according to experts that anxiety and worry itself can cause disease or at least contribute to it. So listen, at this point, we're down to we have to worry about worrying. Now, to be clear, I hope you understand these are not just sentimental words Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. Unlike us, this was real life for them. They lived on the edge. For the disciples of Jesus, they didn't always know where their next meal was coming from. They didn't have a closet full of clothes that they could rely on in case their clothes wore out. They were traveling constantly with Jesus, and they were not sure how their daily needs would even be met. This is one of the reasons I think Jesus tells them to pray, give us today our daily bread. That was literal for them. Lord, feed us today. We're relying on you. And it's to these people. Jesus says, don't worry. Uh, really? Literally, the word Jesus uses here for worry, if you're on your notes, means to be torn apart in two directions. Think about that. Isn't that what worry does? Worry projects the worst. Worry loads the present with the weight of the future. Worry lives in a world of what ifs. And because this is true, Jesus tells us that worry is going to distract you from me. It's going to distract you from my kingdom. It doesn't do good work in your life. And so he says, don't believe the lie of worry. Don't let it distract your focus from me. But as we all know in this room, I am sure it's not as easy as that. It's not just easy to say, okay, I'm going to stop worrying. We can't stop the emotion of worry coming to us. Jesus knows that. So he goes on to give three illustrations to help us understand this, how to focus off of worry. Number one, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Jesus' point is, look at even the animals have what they need. How much more am I going to take care of you who have been created in my very image? Now, to be clear here, Jesus is not just saying, okay, let's just sit around and do nothing, and somehow, magically, he's going to take care of our needs. Birds work hard, don't they? Have you ever watched a bird? They're working all day to provide what they need. Next, he uses this illustration. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This is brilliant, because we actually think it does that. 
We think by worrying, we put ourselves in control. Tell me that's not true. I'm going to control this situation. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm going to know what's coming. I'm going to do all these things. And yet again, according to the health experts here, far from adding time to our lives, which is what we think it is doing, it may actually be taking time away from our lives when we worry. He goes on to a third illustration, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. I'll finish that in a minute. Once again, Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. If I feed the birds, if I'm in control of time, and if I beautify the flowers, how much more am I going to take care of you, my beloved people? If you're on your notes, these three illustrations show our Father will provide what we need. And friends, I want to move this just beyond the stuff we're thinking about, money and clothes and food. He will provide what you need to be a parent. He will provide what you need to be a spouse. He will provide all that we need as his children. So don't worry. So now let's get practical. How do we keep our focus on Jesus and not on treasures and worry? I think in this passage, I see three practical ways Jesus tells us we can stay focused. Trust, give, seek. First way to keep our focus on Jesus and his kingdom is to trust. I know that's such a vague word. It doesn't mean so much to us today. So let me get specific. What I mean in this particular passage, if you're on your notes, we can trust God knows what we need and loves to provide. Can we just say that together? We can trust God knows what we need and loves to provide. Do you believe that in your heart of hearts? Why are treasures and worries so dangerous for Jesus? Because when we set our hearts on those things, they show a lack of faith, as he says, in his ability to provide for us what we need. Jesus mentions this several times throughout the passage. I never finished that one verse. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. When you understand that God is a good father, you understand he loves you and he will always provide for you what you need. What's the key word there? Need. It doesn't mean I'm always gonna get what I want. It doesn't mean that what I think is best for me is always best for me, but he will provide what I need. Obsessive worry over accumulating stuff or worry about food and clothing and money and the future and security is actually pagan, Jesus says. In other words, this should not be the mark of citizens in his kingdom. This is not what kingdom people are like. We don't need to worry because our father will take care of us. Again, trust can be such a vague word. So how do I make this kind of trust practical? You know what Jesus' advice was to us? Take one day at a time. Take today for what today brings you. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Just focus on what is coming your way today. In fact, he finishes this whole section in verse 34 where he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Live in the present. Carpe diem. Seize this day for the day that I have given you. Friends, when it not wrong, again, like I said, to experience emotions of worry and anxiety. Please don't hear that. There's nothing we can do necessarily to stop those emotions from entering into our lives. But we can do something about what we're going to do with them. And I want to be very clear here. I'm not talking about medical conditions of extreme anxiety. Please don't hear that. I'm talking about the everyday kinds of worries that are constantly bombarding our lives. And so I want to give you a tool that I use in my own life to confront worry with my father in prayer. If you turn over the back of your notes, I've printed it back there. I'm sure many of you have seen something similar to this. This isn't new. Can I see this up on the screen? So number one, How many of you have ever had this experience? This happens to me. I just have this feeling in the pit of my stomach and I don't know why it's there. The first thing I have to do there is simply name it. Name why I have this worry. And I ask myself in prayer, Father, what assumptions am I making about this situation? What lies am I believing? What negative thoughts am I having right now? You just got to name it. You got to bring it out of the darkness into the light. And then the second step is challenge it. Where are these thoughts coming from? What are the reasons I'm having these kind of thoughts? Why am I believing these lies? What makes them untrue? What does your word say about this? And then last, I replace it. Father, what is true about this situation? What is true about what you say about me? So often we're worried about what other people think about us. How could I word this differently in light of your truth and love? Let me make this as practical as I can. Let's go back to the first one. I often worry about preaching. It's just a pit in my stomach. I have to preach this week. And so I sit before the Father and I say, what assumptions am I making about this situation? What lies am I believing? Well, I'm believing lies often like this is going to be terrible. People aren't going to like this. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not called to this. I name it before the Father. And then I take step two. I'm going to challenge it. What are some reasons this worry, this anxiety is not true, Father? Well, I've called you to this. I've equipped you to this. I'm faithful to always provide for you in this. And so then by the end of the prayer, I'm going to the third step. I'm going to replace this. Father, here's what I know is true about this situation. You've called me to this, which means just as we sang earlier, you are always faithful. You are always faithful. Great is your faithfulness. You've never let me down before. I know this to be true. You're not going to let me down this time either. That is how this practically works out in my life. I hope you can find some help in that in your own life. I really believe right now in our present day and age, this could be one of the main ways we stand out as followers of Jesus in our society. Do you know what I mean? to be people who trust so much in our Father's care and love for us, to be what Edwin Friedman calls a non-anxious present in this world. Our friends, our family is crying out for this, that we would be different, that we would be people who trust that God is in control, yes, even in COVID, and we can rest in him. Second way to keep our focus on Jesus and his kingdom, if you're on your notes, is to learn to give our treasures away generously. As Jesus said, 
Store up treasures in heaven. Well, how do we do that? With open hands. Giving our time, as Jeff talked about, serving. Giving our finances to things of the kingdom that Jesus cares about. He says, listen, the key to greed and worrying is giving. That's so upside down to what we believe today. I think the key to worrying is getting more, saving more. That's going to give me security. But he says, no, kingdom people think differently. We understand that true peace only comes when we begin to open up our hands and we give ourselves away. We store up treasures in heaven by giving time to serve others. We store up treasures by giving ourselves to Jesus' kingdom, by giving to causes that go for the least of these, that provide for the least of these, by by serving in social justice issues. Brian mentioned it last week, by spending time with our Father and developing a relationship with him. Somehow when we're rich towards people, when we give towards people, we're storing ourselves up treasures in heaven. This feels so upside down. In fact, I'll just share my story with you. Money is security for me. I want security with our our money. And so I want to save, I want to save, and I save. And then in college, I was challenged by a pastor who said, actually, the only security you can find in Jesus, he wants you to open your hands and give. So I said, okay, I'm going to start giving. And I began to give. I began to give more. And I found, friends, that the complete opposite was true. The more I gave, the more I didn't worry. The more I believed that Jesus would take care of me, just like he promised. Jesus never says material things aren't necessary for us. Please, we don't have to become monks. He's just saying a greater abundance of those things aren't going to give you what you think they're going to give you. In fact, they'll probably lead you to worrying even more. And then the last thing to keep our focus on Jesus and the kingdom comes in verse 33, one of the more famous verses in all of scripture. Let's read it out loud together. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse right here is probably one of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in the entire Bible. People have taken it to think, well, if I seek God's kingdom first, I'm gonna get all this material blessing. In fact, Kent Hughes, who's a New Testament scholar, said he once saw a ski boat with Matthew 6.33 emblazoned on the hole. And the guy was essentially saying, listen, this is what God does when you seek his kingdom first. No, no. What this means is that as we seek his kingdom and make it our first priority, then the promise that God knows what you need and loves to provide it will come true. It's only as we make his kingdom the most important thing in our lives that we'll be free from worry and this desire to keep piling up earthly treasures. Friends, what is the kingdom? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Uh, the kingdom, that's what the series is all about. It's the good news that God entered our world in the person of Jesus Christ and now invites us to live life with him now and for eternity. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us how to do that. Therefore, might I suggest that what it means to seek the kingdom is to begin to live out what we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Making the Beatitudes a goal in our lives with the Holy Spirit's help. Becoming salt and light to those around us. Seeing the law more from a heart posture than from external rule following. Getting closer to the Father who loves us through spiritual practices. Investing our lives and our money into kingdom matters. 
That's what it means to seek the kingdom first. And then his promise is all these things will be added to us. What do you think that means? What's going to be added to us? Well, here, here's my interpretation of this verse. This may be wrong. If you're on your notes, though, his promise is only when you seek him first will you find true peace and joy. You see, here's what I think we're doing when we're accumulating treasure, when we're worrying, we're trying to find peace and joy. I'm trying to find joy through stuff. I'm trying to find peace by controlling my life. I believe Jesus knows that about us. And he says, listen, you want peace and joy? Then seek me. Because that's the only place you're going to find it. As I wrap this up, I, I just want you to know one of the things I do when I'm preparing a sermon is I write a paraphrase of it of the text that we went over. And I, I don't know if I've ever shared a paraphrase of mine before. It's just really to help me see what I think are the big ideas of this text. Maybe I have, but my paraphrase this week really struck me. And I'm not saying that in some arrogant way. I just couldn't believe what came out of me. So I'm gonna read this to you. You can bow your heads if you simply want to listen and receive it. But here's what I wrote. Don't set your heart on earthly treasures. They simply won't last They'll leave you empty. Instead, I want you to invest your eternal portfolio. This will always last in my eyes. Listen, you cannot serve money and me. It's one or the other. And what this means is not worrying about everyday life, getting wrapped up into accumulating and impressing others. The solution to life is to seek me with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I promise you, you will get exactly what you're really looking for. All week, as I've been preparing for this, as I've been doing the Bible study, the question I've been being asked by the Holy Spirit is, do you really believe that, Steve? If so, it's gonna change your priorities. It's gonna change your focus. And as you do that, it will change you. It will lead to what you want most in life. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, our King, Father, the one who loves us, loves to provide for us as his children. We confess to you, this is challenging. We confess how easily our hearts can be divided. We want to believe, help our unbelief that treasures and worry won't lead us to where we hope they will. That only you can do that. Create in us a new heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Help us to stand firm on the promises you give us in this passage, Jesus. Believing you want the best for each of us. And the way we do that is by seeking you and your kingdom first. Oh, how we want to be a church that does this. We want to be people of peace, people of joy. So as we think about this message today, this passage, I know you're asking the same question you're asking me. Do I believe this is true? If you do, what does it mean about how you need to shift your focus, friends? He will show you. 
that to you. And more than anything, he will invite you into a better way. We believe this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.